The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half of your host, Darren Bresnitz. Greg Bresnitz is still recovering from Coachella. Just want to dedicate and shout out the show to Kong and Shannon Fan, whose going away party turned into a surprise wedding on Saturday. They're hitting the road to California. All of our love, all of our thoughts. Uh, we are continuing our series today on uh, spring and summer preview events. And one of the most exciting and my personal favorites are the James Beard Awards coming up. Well, coming up this week, starting uh, this Friday. Uh, and we have the executive vice president of the James Beard Foundation, Mitchell Davis, also co-host on uh, Heritage Radio. Mitchell, welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Thank you. It's great to be here, Dan. Actually, I'm not there. I'm in London. Ah. Actually, at another great event, the World's 50 Best Restaurants. But oh. uh, the, the other great awards for chefs and restaurants in the world, next to the Beard Awards. Now, are you a betting man? Because who do you think is going to take... Is it, is it Noma again, or who do you think is taking the top spot? Uh, I do not know, uh, although I am the uh, chair, the Academy Chair for the Northeast or the East of the North America, and I'm looking at Rene Redepi with a lot of cameras around, but nobody knows until... Announced it in a couple of hours. So, oh my! So I don't know. Yeah. You know, this week of the year is really one of my favorite uh, culinary stretches. Not only because it's a fun to get dressed up and everyone goes out, but it's it's really a celebration of chefs. And I think the James Beard Awards have really risen to the top as one of the best events to really celebrate and recognize and put chefs on the same levels as, uh, you know, the way that actors celebrated at the Oscars and musicians are celebrated at the Grammys. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, we it was actually Time Magazine that called them the Oscars of the Food World several years ago, and that's really stuck. And I think the important part of it is, is as you say, it's about elevating what chefs do to other cultural art forms. They're the Tonys, they're the Emmys, they're the Oscars, and there are the Beard Awards. And I think that, that says so, the fact that so many people pay attention to them says so much about, about the importance chefs have gained in, in sort of the cultural art that we all enjoy so much. Yes, I mean, to go there now is really a star-studded event. Explain for those who have not experienced the James Beard Awards, what are they, who goes there, what are they really saying about the food scene? Sure. Well, unlike this event here, the World's City Best, it's just about America, North America. Um, and there are two sorts of awards. Friday night, May 3rd, as you mentioned, we do the Book, Podcast, and Journalism Awards. And those are for those categories of, of wonderful work done on food, books on food, journalism on food, uh, broadcast media about food. Um, and that in itself is a great event and really, I think, shows the talent that we have in America when it comes to writing about and learning about and educating not just America, but the world about food. We have such great writers. And then Monday at Lincoln Center at Avery Fisher Hall is the red carpet, black tie gala that is the James Beard Awards, the real Oscars. Um, almost 2,000 people attend. Um, there's a two-and-a-half-hour ceremony in the auditorium that, you know, is like any any beautiful award show with beautiful people. The fashion is as fun as the, as the actual winners and nominees. Uh, and that's followed by a, a reception where 30 or so chefs cook for all of those people, incredible food. If anyone ever thinks that you can't, you can't cook well for a lot of people, they need to come to the Beard Awards. And in fact, the Beard Awards are open to the public. A lot of people don't know that, but anyone can buy a ticket to attend. Um, and you get to see everyone who's anyone in the world of food and enjoy a great, a great reception afterwards. Yeah, I mean, the major complaint I hear about 
all the other award shows. Everyone's so hungry that you have to eat before, bring a granola <laughs> with you. This is not the case. Yeah. No, this is not certainly not the case there. I mean, if, if the Beard Foundation is known for anything, we're known for throwing a great party, and you never leave hungry. And if you do, then we've done something really, really wrong. Um, Unlike the Oscars, let's say. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, one of the things that I've really loved over the years is watching the eagle rise of the book and the broadcast and the journalism awards showing how well-rounded, because it's starting to go beyond just the chefs and the people who work in the food, but it's all the people who write and report on it. And can you talk to me about yeah, the... Well, yes, go on. Sure. I mean, the reality is that without show, without radio stations like Heritage Radio, without food writers and restaurant critics and cookbook authors, you really, you don't have a food culture. You know, like, like the number of people who are going to go into any one of the restaurants is very, very small. And those people, the intermediaries in media, take that experience, take, take the knowledge that only a few people can gain, and they really share it with everyone. I think it's, I think... I, I mean, part of my academic work, which involves the relationship between media and food, really tries to show how they're they're directly related. However much a chef might hate the world of food critics or uh, you know bloggers these days or all the people taking pictures and eating, I don't think you can separate our enthusiasm and our our increasing um, the increasing influence of food. You can't separate out the media piece of that. They really go hand in hand. So. And so, and they have changed. And in fact, one of the other things that's changed is that so many chefs are now also cookbook authors or um, writers or, you know, participating in the media world in, in many different ways. They have really important blogs. Marcus Samuelson has the Republic blog. David Chang has Lucky Peach, which is a magazine nominated for many, several Beard Awards this year. So, so there's a real crossover. And I think that's because they're so related, media and food. Uh, yes. Um, now, look, I know you can't play favorites, but... <laughs> Who who has like the best story? Who's got the Cinderella story? Who would you like to see get a nod this year beyond just the nomination? Oh, I can't feel really, it. I mean, there are so many stories. You know, there are a few categories that we all look forward to because they're really exciting and because they change so much every year. Um, those would be Best New Restaurant because it's the best new restaurant in the entire country. And if you can imagine how many restaurants opened in the last year just in New York City and you multiply that by yes. every city in the country, it, it's, it's, it's quite an honor. And so, so that one to me is always really uh, interesting and an exciting category. And this year, you know, let's see, The Ordinary in Charleston is nominated and State Bird Provisions in San Francisco and Epilon Cocina in New York and Grace in Chicago and uh, actually Rich Table in San Francisco. Also, so it's a, it's, a, it's a huge national category. And I, I, who are my favorites? I don't know. It's like apples and oranges. You never, because this is a voting process and it's, it's a sort of secret ballot and, right. and administered by an accounting firm, you really don't know how the votes are going to split. You know, with two restaurants in San Francisco, does that mean San Francisco has a better shot at winning, or does it mean it ha they're going to split the vote because half the people in San Francisco love one and half love another? So yeah, it's just so hard to predict. I don't know that anyone gets rich betting on the Beard Awards, but um, <laughs> uh, now so I have that for an answer for you. <laughs> uh, I, it's it's the most democratic. It's, it's, it's <laughs> how you stay at the top. Now, uh, I know that you also, you know, on – not just a national level, you do regions. What's your favorite region that's really uh, come out in the last few years, that's really grown in leaps and bounds and has gotten some of the notoriety um, with the James Beard Awards? Well, that's a really good question, actually. Um, well, I, so the, the typical ones, of course, are California, the New York City, even sort of Chicago and the Midwest and, and the West Coast. But then when you look across 
know, one of the things that's been so exciting for me personally over the last few years, I've been doing a lot of traveling in the States, and you, you find yourself in uh, Charleston, let's say, which has an incredible food culture and actually has um, a couple of nominees this year, Sean Brock for Outstanding Chef, and, um, and as I mentioned, uh, Mike Lotta for The Ordinary. And Charleston, I think, is, is a place, it's just an exciting, exciting town. It's got a rich culture, agricultural history and a rich food culture. Um, it has incredible access to um, people working on all sorts of heirloom products and stuff. And so you see a whole burgeoning food culture there on on every level, from the sandwich shops, you know, like Butcher and Bee, all the way up to the finest McCready, Sean Brock's restaurant, Mike Lotta's restaurant. So, so to me, that's, a, that's an example of a place that you might not have traditionally thought of as as a food destination, but is incredible. And then we're about to go to Louisville, which is another great place um, in the middle of the country that, that also has a burgeoning food culture. And, and I'm trying to remember the name of the nominee. Is it Anthony Lamas from Ceviche, uh, a Latin restaurant? Maybe it is. He, I don't see it. I'm sorry. It's, I'm flipping through in front of me. I'm standing outside in the courtyard watching the entire world of food walk by. Um, anyway, so... So to me, it's the, it's the unexpected places, obviously, that, that are so interesting that, that make their way onto the list. Um, other great, let's see, looking around the country, Northwest, well, Portland and Seattle, of course, you would expect to be there. Um, uh, the North Fork Table and Inn is in the Northeast category in South Old New York. That's out on Long Island, a beautiful, beautiful um, place. And again, you know, in order for people to know about them and experience them, you have to get there. And America's a really big country. It's funny, we're here in uh, London, and obviously there's a great food culture here, but, but England's a small place, and you can really travel it quickly. When you think about having to be aware of what's going on in the U.S., five hours across, you know, 300 million people, it's, and, and the fact that food has become so much more a part of everyone's culture, not just in the big cities, it's become a real challenge, I think. And one of the things we were very proud of when we saw the list of nominees this year at the Beard Foundation was everywhere was represented. You know, Pete Wells in the New York Times wrote a blog article. He's the restaurant critic for the Times. And he wrote a blog article about how New York had, had been missed by the Beard Awards and did they overcompensate. And for us, that was one of the greatest things because we're always been, we've always been criticized as being New York-centric. And I don't think... I don't, nothing about our process has changed, but what's going on in the rest of the country has changed. Absolutely. There's so much excitement going on around the country with food festivals and magazine coverage and blog coverage of places that I think I, we were really excited that that was the criticism we had, that there wasn't enough New York on that list. That's never happened before. It just shows that across the land, you know, the work that you guys are doing is just really elevating food on a, a national level. Um, now, before you have to go, I, I know we have the awards, but the awards represent something bigger. It's the James ba Beard Foundation. And can you talk about a little bit about the foundation and how people want to get involved, how they can get involved? Sure, and thank you for giving me the chance. I mean, if you go to jamesbeard.org, you really get a picture of, of all of the different things we do. Obviously, all eyes are on the awards, as you say, but we also have a really robust scholarship program. Over $4.5 million has been given away since we started, and, and uh, we're right now in the process of, um, of uh, uh, the application process. So people go to jamesbeard.org, and they're, if they're attending culinary school or are looking for a grant to study somewhere related to food, um, you might find what you're looking for there and can apply. Um, we also do the dinners at the James Beard House and also dinners around the country. And, and the Beard House, we have over 225 chefs from around the world come and cook there in the course of a year. And it really is a chance, if you're visiting New York or you live in New York, to, the world comes to cook for you and perform in that space. It was actually Julia Child who called it Carnegie Hall for Chefs. And the last thing we do has been increasingly uh, an important part of our work. And, and we've been trying to take all of the enthusiasm and energy and attention that chefs are getting um, and, and use that to help 
make better decisions about how we feed ourselves, how we distribute our food, sort of larger food system issues through an annual food conference, which is also you can apply to attend at jamesbird.org, and meetings around the country and relationship with the State Department to create an an ambassador corps of chef ambassadors, sort of a a sense of food as as diplomacy. And and so, I I mean, you you can spend some time on our website. We have a robust blog. You can get our our publications if you sign up for Beard Bites, come every two weeks. And you really get a chance, a snapshot of what's happening in America in the world, but also with America's place in the larger food world. And I think here at the World Food Fest, although we're we're talking about the Beard Foundation, you really see... um, the, the America's presence uh, in, in among the greatest food cultures on earth. There are French chefs here. There are chefs from Japan. There are chefs from Denmark, where everyone's attention is right now. And and the Americans are as as much an integral part of what's going on in the world of food as ever. And we we kind of take that for granted. And I think it's because of the work of the Beard Foundation and because of the incredible community we have of media and chefs that it has made it so. It doesn't just happen. Um, and I think we should all be very proud. It really is an amazing organization, and, and I love what you're doing. And, you know, eating dinner, I've been so lucky enough to been to that house, and it really is, you know, it's so special, and you feel the history. And while I think if James Beard was around today, he'd be proud of you and what everyone in the organization has done with food. Uh, Mitchell, I will not keep you any longer. Go have a great time. I will be keeping my eyes peeled to the Internet to <laughs> see who the big winner is. I have my own guesses. Uh, all I'm okay. going to say is... I'm saying I'm looking at you. Jer- can also follow me at Kitchen Sense. Sorry, I'll be tweeting live here, so you don't have to wait for it to be posted, or at the Beard Foundation uh, Twitter. Also, um, and so let's, stay tuned, and then stay tuned for the Beard Awards next yes. week. Yes, and let's not forget that Kitchen Sense is also your wonderful cookbook, which you can pick up on Amazon.com. To search Kitchen Sense, Mitchell Davis. Well, Mitchell, thank you. I will be in my very best next Monday night, and hope to see you there, dressed to the Thanks, nines. Thanks, Dan. Hope to see you too.
have the Rev in office, in studio. He was just telling me about his glory days as a Smashing Pumpkin DJ at the nightly radio station. What, what station? Shout it out. It was uh, WWDX in Lansing, Michigan. It was my first commercial radio job. And like I was saying, I did the uh, midnight to 6 a.m. Friday and Saturday. And the studio had this gigantic window that looked out on the street where all the college bars were. So my friends pointing at me laughing on the way into the bar and pointing at me laughing on the way out of the bar. Um. I had the um, Friday 12 to 2 a.m. shift. I think it lasted like th- three weeks before it got kicked off the air <laughs> for, you know, intoxication reasons. Uh, I would get kicked off for, like, slipping in White Zombie at, like, 4.45 in the morning. I'm yeah. Like, you were listening? Yeah, who was listening? <laughs> um, so we're here to talk about a couple events. Uh, you have, First up, you have the uh, second annual New York Burger Week. Very exciting. Happening May 1st through May 7th, uh, 2013. Really, really excited. Um, tell me about it. Why burgers? Uh, you know what? I love food. It's probably a universal theme to the show and the guests on it. Uh, and I dedicated myself to writing a blog about hamburgers about five years ago. Uh, and it just it grew wildly out of proportion. I did it as a joke, and it has taken its own life. 
And last year I thought, wow, I have all these connections. I know all these people. I know this great food. I want to share it with people. Let's celebrate National Hamburger Month by having seven days of like really cool, glorious burger events. Uh, and it went better than I had expected. And so this year I was like, I can't not do this again. Right. You know, it, it has to happen. Uh, you know, and since last year, we have refined the ideas, have found uh, not better partners, but different partners. And I'm able to do like, you know, seven day showcase cool. of really cool burger events. Um, most of them are pretty boozy. They all involve bourbon or beer or something like that. But. What's your favorite? Uh, do you like beer or bourbon when you're pairing with a burger? Uh, beer because I can drink more of it and the mm. flavors are more wide. Favorite beer, favorite burger pairing? Oh, God. That is an awesome question. I don't think I would ever come down to one uh, because of the variety of burgers I like. But I'd have to tell you that just a standard Kolsch or Pilsner, mm. uh, a Kolsch or a Pilsner with a standard slider like one that's been prepared yeah. you can't beat that it's just so refreshing that's awesome um i see that one of the events is the guns and roses appetite for destruction burger and beer pairing that's the kickoff event what is that <laughs> so we did it last year we took uh, an iron maiden album and paired all nine songs of uh of peace of mind with nine different beers and so as we'd hit play on the album and as each song started you got a beer or a burger that paired with that song so it was such a hit i said all right we got to do it again what do i want to do it for and i thought appetite for destruction was a funny pun and uh so it's 12 course 12 courses paired with each song on that album four burgers six beers from six from three breweries uh order of tater tots and bourbon ketchup and they're all perfectly paired quote, yeah, quote. it's all perfectly sold out yeah, it did sell out. It sold out, but it's great. Like, welcome to that burger, sautéed onions, sautéed jalapenos, American cheese, out to Emi Bacon, the bourbon ketchup, blue cheese. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's also serving as, so at Idle Hands, which is the bar I own where that's being hosted, right. uh, we have an independent uh, purveyor inside there called That Burger. He, we basically leech, leech, he leases the kitchen from us and runs his restaurant from the bar. It's his last night there. Oh. So after, the, after Wednesday, we will not have burgers again. Uh, so it's his going away party and sort of the Welcome to New York Burger Week. This just big crazy night of burgers. That's crazy because Idle Hands gotten you've gotten known for your burgers. Yep, but we don't own that part. Oh, we lease the kitchen to Dan from that burger. So he's going to go off and do whatever that burger does, and we'll usher in whatever the next you know sort of pop up kitchen idea is. So talk to me about some of the other events. I see that there is the uh, bourbon and burger pairing dinner, which looks. Pretty boozy and pretty decadent. That one's cool. Uh, it's at Harding's. So basically you're going to start in the reception area where you'll be given a cocktail lesson on how to make a bourbon smash. Yeah. Uh, you then get taken to they have this private whiskey room with a closed door. Uh, we'll do a bourbon tasting with a bourbon rep. You then get walked into the kitchen uh, where the chef shows you how she makes this triple ground meat burger. It's tw- three grinds. Uh, and then you sit at a private table for 16 people and the chef will serve you the burger. That, that one sold out as well, actually. No, so, you got one more. Oh, that's right. Sorry. We added eight seats. Eight seats. So if somebody is available on May 2nd and looks for bourbon and burgers, that one's available. I, I think the grandstand, the one to really get, uh, Friday night, yep. May 3rd, the first ever beer, bowling, and burger festival. Where's that being held? That is at Bullmore in Times Square. Wow. 24 breweries, three different burgers. I designed the menu. Gourmet pickles from McClure's. There'll be a cheese tasting from Snowfrisk and Jarlsberg uh, and bowling. That's 38 bucks for all you can drink and then eat as well. Um, now, I see that the Food Film Festival is part of this? Yes. George Motz. Yeah, the, the, uh, the Motz Burger. And so as part of that, uh, Monday night, there is a private party in Brooklyn. I can't announce the location uh, where George will be screening an episode of Burgerland from the Travel Channel. The show is great, by the way. I'm a big fan. I'm actually on the New York episode, which hasn't aired yet. Great. 
Uh, and so I'm giving away tickets to come to this private event where there'll be burgers and, and uh, beer and hang out with George and watch an episode. Uh, so if you go to theburgerweek.com, you can see how to win tickets to that. Oh, real secret burger, real secret, uh, real secret thing. Um, and what type of music is going to get played? I know you already have the appetite for destruction, but what, what's your favorite type of uh, burger? It's rock music. Burgers are meant to be – you can't listen to pop or and maybe some hip-hop. But I think you know, nice 70s, 80s, 90s rock goes best with burgers and beer. So now that it's barbecue season – I assume that you grill a lot of burgers uh, during this time of year. It's probably the one item I cook the least at home. Really? Yep. Why is that? My appreciation for other people's artistry of the burger is larger than it is on my own end. Uh, I cook totally different things when I'm at home. Interesting. I think it goes back my mom when I was a kid to reward me for doing good or to get me out of the house away from my stepfather. We would go eat burgers. And so deep, deep, deep in my head – Burger going out for burgers is a re- real special moment. That is a loaded comment, my man. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> um, my friend today uh, was asking me if uh, he was talking about investing in a grill, and he said propane or charcoal. And I was like, eh, charcoal, buddy. Like, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Like I know that sometimes you're grilling going, but if you're grilling and going, then you're not grilling correctly. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is I live in a building where I can't have one, either of those. Oh yeah. I can only have an electric. And while it works really, really well, it's still not the same, and so I don't want to. Oh, man, that's even worse than propane. Yeah. It's, it, there's some ones out there that work really well. Like, I won't lie to you. I fed people, and they had no idea. Interesting. But get- on the burger front, you can't get an infrared hot enough to cook them the way I want them. No. Which is part of the reason I don't cook it. Cook them right. Favorite burger in the city? Favorite burger in the country? Uh, it ceased to exist as of December 31st. Rub Barbecue. That is the best burger I've ever really? had. Really? Yeah, they closed their doors. I know they closed their doors, but what made that burger your favorite? Uh, you know, even though I worked there for a while, I still don't know how they did it, but he basically, Andrew, the, the owner, would bring in all the meat and then house grind it himself that morning. They made a limited amount so they could control you know, the quality of the grind. Uh, they changed the recipe every week. It was just whatever, however he did it, he, and he was a master scientific burger maker. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Eater did a burger week. Last week, and yep. they, they talked about the uh, twelve most elusive burgers in the country, and talked, you know, how the burger has become this thing that people want to serve to show off their process, but they don't want to be known as a burger restaurant. Yep, and uh, I can see how that can happen. I mean, I could see how some a burger can really take over your menu, um, and like. But by limiting it, making it sort of just part of the lore. Yeah, I mean, isn't that how five napkin happened? They were serving that at uh, Nice Matin, I think. They were serving the five napkin burger, and it just became a thing. And suddenly, you know, they have restaurants all over the country. I mean, empire all over the country. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're going to take a quick musical break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about uh, your other event. Beer which balls. Is, beer balls, which uh, is going to be another fun event.
Oh man, I love that song. That is some old, really esoteric indie Def- rock. Definitely appropriate for the weather. But better than live sticks, which is what I would have probably put on. So yeah, is that, is that is that your uh, rainy music? It might have been today. Um, all right, so let's talk about beer balls. Ah, the second annual. Second annual beer balls. Uh, what is it? Where'd you get the name? <laughs> we actually tossed with the name for a while, and I didn't want to be super risque about it. But Patrick, who I co and get real with, he was like, "No, beer balls. We got to go for it. It's too funny." Patrick's kind of a weird left-to-center Irishman, so he usually wins out because I don't like arguing. Uh, <laughs> the idea was to take like a whole bunch of really great craft beer and a whole bunch of like really great chefs who aren't really known for making meatballs okay. and have them make really cool craft meatballs and pair them with beer. Uh, and so we did it last year. I think we sold probably almost 1,000 tickets. Wow. It was pretty intense. We, we boiled it down this year. We're only, there's only 300 tickets available. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of access to a little bit better food, a little bit better beer because we didn't have to serve it in such volume. Uh, but it's on May 11th at the Alewife in Long Island City. Have you uh, have you been to the Alewife? Oh yeah, I know Alewife. Awesome beer hall. Yeah, two floors. They just opened a big, huge outdoor patio. Thirty th- twenty eight lines up for beer. Like if you're a beer lover and a food lover, it's a great place. Um, so what can people expect? Uh, some very strange, non traditional meatballs. In fact, I think of the eleven balls we're serving, only one of them is like the traditional Italian style. Everything else is like Berkshire pork and weird Mexican recipes and a vegetarian. And uh, it is definitely a food artisan interpretation of a meatball. You know, I got to say, when it comes to meatball, I'm a traditionalist. I've had the duck meatballs. I've had the goat meatballs and the lamb meatballs, you know, the kofta and stuff like that. But um, I really just sort of – I just like your classic – I'm a pork veal beef, you know, just the – the thirds so we we limited the chefs on what meats they could use okay to keep it at least somewhere in that range i think we gave them beef veal chicken and pork and that was it okay so they could choose from that what they wanted but after that they had it so there's a barbecue one there's so there's not like a sea urchin fish meatball well i mean gefilte fish meatball no no definitely not it's less it's more traditional than that but these are definitely going to be some interesting takes on meatballs and then you know, we have 30 different beers on tap. We're going to have a cask ale uh, bar with, like, 12 different cask sales that were made just for this event. So this is literally the only day they'll be available. Really? Yep. So what are the cask ales going to be? 
Dude, I can't speak to that. That is Patrick's side of the business. He has oh. the relationships with the brewers. And there are, like, I even, I show up to our events on the day of and go, all right, what do we have? It's like Christmas morning, you know. And the thing is, with, with beer balls, it's two two sessions. So there's 12 and 4. If you're the beer nerd, you go to the first one because that's the only time you're going to guarantee that all the beers will be available. Interesting. But if you're the meatball nerd, you can go. Yeah, either. Interesting. Are you doing those, like, weird two ounce cup things at a, at the events uh well we do four ounce okay okay that's manageable yeah i the two ounce cups just kill me it's just like you take a sip and you go okay i sort of tasted that well the the, the difference about the at least the events at the alewife is we don't install like different taps around the room right we just use their bar okay so you can just go up to the bar back and forth over and over you don't have to move around great uh, except for the cask ones which are upstairs so it, just get there early and get a seat at the bar. Just <laughs> you can kind of do that. Yeah, get two glasses. Just have them in going in rotation. But that's cool. It's it's a festival, but it's intimately sized. You know, there's not a lot of waiting in line. There's not a lot of people. There's access to really you know great rare product. Um, and who are some of the chefs? Um, we have the chef from Little Town. The two guys from the Alewife are there. Um, God, I can't even remember. They all switched last week. We had people come in and come out. Um, Murray Bar on Thirty Four. Have you heard of this place yet? It, it's sort of brand new on the scene, but they have this thing called a dirty burger. Okay. They're doing the meatball interpretation of it. It's got like cinnamon and honey, and it's got a finishing element in it and a garlic aioli. It's very unique. So they'll be doing a, the meatball version of that. Interesting. Uh, what do you look for in a meatball? What's your favorite meatball? Um, God, it either has to be spicy or have a lot of rosemary. Really? Interesting. I love rosemary and meat, things like that. Especially really fatty meat, you get the like herbaceous notes of the rosemary. There's a recipe on my burger site called the Whole Lot of Rosemary Meatball. Okay, it's supposed to be an ACDC themed meatball with tons of rosemary in it. I thought that was appropriate for the show. I think it's appropriate. <laughs> do you make? Do you now? I know you don't do burgers, but do you cook meatballs? I am a furious meatball chef. Recipe furious. Is it the rosemary one, or do you have? Um, that's probably it's now my favorite one. I do a breakfast meatball. That's definitely my favorite. It's got like sage sausage, black beans, uh, maple drizzle, eggs, that kind of thing. Uh, my rosemary one's good, and then I do a spicy fatty pork one. That's pretty killer as well. Interesting. All right, now, where uh, uh, where did you learn how to make your meatballs? Was this passed down tradition? Uh, yeah, my my mom, who married into the Italian side of my family, learned it from my Italian grandmother. It got passed down to me through that generation. She learned it from her great grandmother. So, and but it's not like a secret, like family. I'll kill you if you tell anyone. I won't tell you the red sauce recipe, really. But I'll tell you any other recipe. Like everything, else, most of them are on the Burger Conquest blog. You just Google meatball meat Burger Conquest. What's the uh, red, why not the red sauce? I was just told that belongs to the family. You don't share it. Huh. Cool. <laughs> Well, you're welcome for the pizza. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> is it a spicy red sauce? Uh, no, it's very garlicky. It's very garlicky. And I've, I've interpreted it a little differently than my mom did, who told me she showed me how to make it and then wrote it down and it was different than what she showed me. And I said, well, what was the difference? She goes, no, no, I was just feeling it. I go, well, that's not grandma's sauce. She goes, you do, well, you do it grandma's way. I said, oh, so it's okay for you, not okay for me? I changed it a little. Interesting. Interesting. Different products were available when they were making that. No, sauce. no, no, no. I know, I know. It it, it changes throughout the ages. Um, I live in Long Island City. I don't have a garden in the back where I can go pick the tomatoes. So. No, you don't. But that, but you also can get them canned and shipped in from San Marzano. I can, but I do have a basil garden. So. Oh, that's nice. I'll grow my own basil. Uh, one day, one day. I always think I'm going to do uh, one of those like hanging herb gardens off my fire escape, but then I never get around. Do you to have it. a windowsill? 
I do. That's all you need. I know. I have seedlings. You can come over and have some. I have 10 extra seedlings I'm not going to use. Okay. I'll make some basil. <laughs> I love fresh basil. Do you grow rosemary? Uh, I did last year. Actually, here's the problem. So if you have too many plants growing together indoors, uh, they, they don't release the water. Uh, there needs to be room for the water to be released off them. And if they're too close, they'll get a fungus because it'll just go from one plant to the other. And once one plant gets it, they all get it. And that happened to me. My rosemary, my sage. I had too many plants last summer, and they literally died in about a day and a half. What about your parsley? My what? Your parsley? Parsley, uh, rosemary. Say. Yeah. Anyway, never mind. So this year I'm doing, I'm doing one thing of basil and one thing of sweet peppers, and that's it. There you go. All you got to worry about is mites. Yep. Right? And my cat, who likes to eat my... <sighs> this, is why, this is why cats are a problem. You'll never see a dog eating a plant. A plant. No. No. He'll pee on it. Yeah. He'll never eat it. Uh, well, Rev, I want to thank you for coming on, sharing uh, two events with us. I will definitely see you during Burger Week and probably for all your events and things yeah, like God that. Bless. Let me know. We'll get you some tickets. Snacky Tunes, uh, we are just getting Amanda on the phone right now. Uh, we are super excited. Smorgasburg, if you haven't been, is one of the greatest things to hit Williamsburg. Every Saturday, they go, uh, about, I don't know, 50 vendors open up uh, their stalls and they sell food. And it's just a real great time for uh, family and friends. Uh, Brooklyn Fee's Flea is um, w- the vendor, and every year they do a it's uh, founded by Jonathan Butler and Eric Denby, and they have locations all over Brooklyn. Um, and it used to just be 
sort of pop-up vendors, and they got into food, and now it's food and it's music, so you know that we love it. Uh, you know, there's not much that one can say uh, more than how great the summertime is for food and for music. If you've never been in New York during that time, uh, it's really a great era of the year to fall in love with the city between Central Park shows and picnics and going up to the cloisters. Uh, you know, we do our own barbecue series every year, which we're going to be working with Food Republic and Brooklyn Brewery and uh, Heritage Radio um, and Eventbrite. We're going to be announcing that next week for one on May 14th. Um, so we're very excited. And we're very excited because this Sunday uh, we will be swinging by the Brooklyn F- Flea, May 4th, to ad- join Manda for the Smorgasburg Record Fair. Manda, thank you and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Hey there, thanks for having me. Just to clarify, it's actually Saturday, May 4th. Oh, did I say Sunday? So, yeah. <laughs> so it is um, inside of the Smorgasburg Festival, yes. not the regular Brooklyn Flea. It'll right. be inside of all the food vendors. Right. Uh, it's going to be a tight fit. A tight fit for food and for music. Uh, how do you uh, how do you plan on keeping all the delicious foods off the records? I guess that's what the uh, plastic sleeves are for, right? Yes. Well, I mean, we're really lucky right now because we actually, the, the entire Brooklyn Flea has moved over a block north, and it's inside of the East River State Park now instead of at its prior location right on the water's edge. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more space. The, all the food vendors are sort of on one side, and then there's the entire park with the lawn for people to get food and sit and hang out. And we will have a separate area, which will be completely contained for the record vendors. Now, this is really uh, a great gathering, a real meeting of the minds, a real who's who in the uh, record labels of you know New York and beyond. So tell people what they can expect if they've never been. Well, basically, what we like to do is curate a nice, diverse group of both new record labels and people who collect vinyl, who sell at stores and private vendors. And in terms of the who's who for um, new record labels, there is quite an array. Um, I have a full listing online. I mean, there's about 26 labels involved this time total, but... Just to give you a few hints, there's DFA, there's Domino, True Panther, Warp, What's Your Rupture, um, Dead Oceans, Jack Jaguar, and Secretly Canadian, their collective labels, Knitting Factory Records, who does a bunch of reissues, Luca Bop is joining the crew this time, Merge from Chapel Hill will be driving up for the day. Amazing. Amazing. And what do you look for? What do you love so much about the day? Well, you know... I- it's really been highlighted to me recently because Record Store Day was only a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have the two of them to compare a little bit closer than usual. And on Record Store Day, you have very limited things. People have to get there very early and wait in line. And, um, and, and there is a, a fun spirit to it. But I feel like this is the opposite because it's very leisurely and everyone's involved. All the labels are representing themselves and actually selling the records that they've selected to release to the fans of the label, which is something really special to have them involved in the process and not have a record store as a middleman. Yeah, I mean, it's a really, it's a, having been in years past, it's a great day of hanging. You know, you you flip some records, you go get a snack, you just sort of chat with some people, and there isn't that pressure of, I got to get there at nine in the morning before it opens. It really, um, you know, like Record Star Day, I think uh, this record fair really captures on what people love about browsing for records and 
um, talking about music and being around people who love music, and also getting to meet the people who run these fantastic labels. Absolutely. It's uh, almost like summer camp for record collectors. It is. It is. And it's a real, it's a real, you know, nothing is better than just sort of in the summer, like cranking out the record player, drinking some beers. It's, 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 and this is a really great way to start, you know, with a little, some fresh tunes for the summer. Absolutely. Uh, um, what, what's your favorite sort of like food and uh, record combination? What, what do you uh, usually rock on the turntable and in the kitchen at the same time? Oh, well, I, I have to say I'm, I'm a big brunch cooker. I can't do much right, but I can do a fit, pretty good brunch. And I also like some rock steady to go with it. Recently, this Listen to the Music comp that came out about a year ago, that's been a really nice pairing for me while cooking eggs and grits and bacon. Oh, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds really good. Um, you know, I, I've, I've found that uh, there's few things I like more than, especially the, during this time of year, is like opening up all the windows, putting on a record player, and uh, cooking, the, the only issue is when you have to f- <laughs> flip sides. If you're doing something like baking or something like that, you, gotta, you may need a helper. It's going to fl- be hot. It's going to be hot, and you might need someone to help uh, you know, flip the record while your hands are sticky. Um, so what are all, <laughs> Absolutely. So what are all the details? Uh, when does it start? Um, is it free to get in? What's the yes. deal? Okay, all the, the main information. So it's Saturday, May 4th. Yes. It starts at 11 in the morning, and it will go till 6. It kind of it trickles at the beginning and in the end. Mm-hmm. There's like sort of a natural process to it. It's absolutely free to get in. It will cool. be right to the right of where Smorgasburg is inside of the state park under one giant tent. What are the cross streets? Uh, it's right at the edge of the water at Kent Street, and right. it's at where North 7th dead ends in cool. the park. Cool. And they'll be, on top of having all these great um, vendors all day, there will also be DJs that Red Bull Music Academy selected with us. Awesome. We work together to pick a really great collection of DJs for the day, which include Dan Seltzer, who runs Acute Records, DJ Rupture, Veronica Vasiski from Minimal Wave, Dean Bain, who runs True Panther, James Friedman, who carries Throne of Blood record label, and James Pants. Man, love all of those. There might be a couple more surprise DJs last minute. Secret surprises. I mean, there's going to be a lot of DJs in town the next week for the Red Bull Music Academy. I mean, there's mania right now with the Red Bull Music Academy. Every night there's something so impressive going on in the city. So we're really thrilled to be a part of it. And also, of course, Dogfish Head Beer is our sponsor. And so we'll have mm. four different brews on tap, I believe. Oh, my gosh. I love mm-hmm. Dogfish Head. Oh, yeah. It's delicious. They have a, a Saison beer that is just, it's, ugh, I dream of it. It haunts me. I think this time they're going to be, um, they'll have this one positive contact on site, which is delicious. Ooh. I got to have some samples of it in the wintertime. It's, it's very it, light. It's a bit of like a lemongrass undertone. It's delicious. Awesome. Well, that's going to be the perfect uh, imbibement to go along with record listening. Well, Amanda, yeah. I want to thank you for coming back on the show. It really is a great day. If you, Thanks for having me. You know, I can, I can only say that if you, you know, even if you only have half an hour to swing in and pick up one record, it's totally worth kid-friendly, dog-friendly. Actually, it, the dogs, dogs can't come to the oh. location. I know. Devastating. Not but dog friendly. Kid friendly. Kid friendly. Bring your kids. Booty Le- friendly. Leave the dog at home. Vinyl lover friendly. Yes, vinyl lover friendly. And uh, there's always, if you think that your record collection is too big, you will be sadly mistaken when you come out with 10 new records. 
mm-hmm. on Saturday. Absolutely. Amanda, thank you so much. I will see you on Saturday. We'll have our parents in tow. We can. They, oh, my, yay. My dad can talk about uh, all the records that he got when uh, he was a kid and that Perfect. I wound up stealing. So Wonderful. I thank, look forward to hearing. And what's the website? For right. the website, Thanks. one more time. Thanks. Okay. okay. Uh, bye. T- bye. It's uh, com. Well, I want to thank all of our guests uh, today uh, for our summer springtime preview. Uh, we'll be back next week with a whole new show. Super excited. And here's one last track. I am just scrolling through because I want to play a good one. Uh, but yeah, we'll do this one. Toast, Arches of Loaf, one of my favorite bands. From my record collecting days. You'll sing snacky tunes until next week. <laughs>